Welcome to We Shadows, the podcast about design and technical theater in the Twin Cities. I'm your announcer, Anita Kelling. Have you ever looked through your playbill and noticed a credit for a charge artist or scenic charge and wondered what that was? In this episode, Lisa Barron spoke to one of the busiest, Angelique Powers. Together, they talk about the magic of paint, scenic painting, and how scenic artists can help transform a stage into a whole detailed world. This conversation took place on December 19th, 2020. I would like to thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Or staying in your house and chatting with me over the internet. Um, What I would like to kind of have you do to start us off is can you explain as much or as little as you can about what you do in for someone who doesn't work in theater? All right. So when you come and see a show, a play, I, my job as the scenic charge artist or scenic artist or scenic painter, we have a thousand different names, depending on what you feel like being called that day. (laughs) And my job is I'm the person who paints everything that you see on stage. So I have worked with a designer who comes up with what it's supposed to look like. And then I take that designer's renderings and designs and research and all the things that they've given that they have. And then I make their dreams a reality. So I'm the one painting the stage floors. I'm painting the walls. I'm painting backdrops. If a designer actually has a backdrop in there, sometimes I'm painting props um, and uh, furniture, but that's always like, where does that fall? And the lines between scenery and props, but I've done it all. Um, so yeah, I'm basically, I, I, is as my husband who's a TD likes to say he builds it and I make it pretty. <laughs> you were it's so, a team effort then on that. It is a team effort. Yeah. <laughs> so I and I love my job and but yeah, so I'm basically I'm the one who who puts the paint on everything. And if I'm not the one actually putting the paint on it, then I'm the one in charge of making sure that other people are painting it correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, you get the other variety of people working yeah. on whatever the thing is yeah it's it's a I, I i'm definitely i'm 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 well up in there in that team collaborator position it is not <laughs> a solo show for me yeah for everyone that i have to all the plates that i spin to paint a show there you go um so you said that you do you work with uh usually a designer for mm-hmm. that correct are there are there different ways that you work with said designer to make sure to oh yes there's designers are all different but so what kind of things do you get from them and work oh with so designers are so different I've worked with designers who've given me literally like a postage stamp thing and said okay so I want you to paint the entire wall to look like this little postage stamp and I'm like all right cool and then I can do that and then I've had other designers who come in with like stacks and stacks of research images along with their painted renderings, along with a model box and notes. And they want everything done exactly as they rendered it. So it's like this big like scale between light lilac and you do whatever you want in a deep, deep purple. And I have to get that exact color. So Mm -hmm. it's always about um, interpreting what the designer wants and giving that to them. At the same time, though, I have to get everything done within a budget and within a certain timeline. So sometimes I want to be able to give them that sparkly unicorn pony, but 
it's just gonna be a horse with a, a thing taped to its head yeah you know uh it's 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 hard but i i what i i love it i love i love the collaborators there's a designer i work with rick polinek um and i've worked with him for years um and he's one of my favorite designers to work with i've worked with him at park square and with an artistry and latte da um and I love working with him because he's all like, okay, so these are my ideas and this is where I think we can go. What can you bring to the table? What can we do together to make this design even better? And that's the, that's the kind of designer uh, relationship that I love working with. Um, but sometimes it's also nice to have a designer just say, I want you to do this, 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 and this. Cause then I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't want to say think is hard, but a lot of the decisions are made for me. I just have to execute and problem solve. Yeah. You use a different part of your brain. Yeah. That part. Exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 A little different um, method, I should say. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I like that there, you get sometimes a designer that you get to, he's like, I know that you're an artist and brings that in. So I like that. Oh, yeah. That sometimes they are like, yeah, let's use her skills because she is an artist herself. Um, how did, um, so I'm assuming you didn't like be born and immediately start painting. Um, how did you decide or start to think that you wanted to be a painter, uh, become a painter, be a scenic artist in well, theaters instead of I, paint somewhere else? Yeah. I went to a small liberal arts college in Northern Illinois. At the time it was called Rockford College, but now they've gotten all highfalutin and it's Rockford University. And, um, and, which is a great thing, but I still call it RC. Anyways, I went to school there um, primarily to be a stage manager. And because I really liked that aspect of technical theater um, and that, that version of collaborating and problem solving and being in charge. Um, and that was fantastic. But I realized throughout my years there that I wasn't very good at being nice to actors and I wasn't very good at sucking up to directors. And um, sometimes I tell things a little bit too truthfully. Um, to be as good at that job is what I needed to be. And what was really great about our school and the small liberal arts um, part of it was that we had to do everything. So I learned how to be a math, I learned how to be an electrician, I learned how to be a carpenter. They attempted to teach me how to sew, and they realized that was definitely not a good fit. Um, <laughs> so I stayed primarily in the scene shop. And so, um, and of course, because I thought sawdust was gross and icky and, and, and dirty, I always <laughs> gravitated more towards painting and getting covered with that kind of stuff instead. And so um, throughout my, 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 my four years there, I, I, I transitioned from being the, like the main stage manager to being the main scenic charge artist. Um, and I really liked it. And then uh, the summer before I graduated, um, my professor, Noel, got me a job out in Virginia um, painting for a summer. And so I thought, okay, great. And so they gave me like $200 a week, a week. <laughs> and I'd worked like 50 hours. And that was awesome because you're dumb and you don't know any better. Um, but, uh, I went there thinking I was just going to be like a painter and I showed up and they're like, thanks. You're the charge. I'm, I'm the what? So I learned <laughs> that summer 
how to fake it till I made it, how to collaborate, how to lead a crew of interns that weren't necessarily much more talented than I was. And, um, <laughs> and so I mentioned I did it for like $200 a week. Yeah. So, so I was like, if I can, and- <laughs> right. If I can work this many hours, um, and kill myself and still love the job for $200 a week, that's kind of when I got addicted to the crack. And so I haven't necessarily been able to quit yet. And yeah, I just, I, I mean, I still, what's interesting is I still take so many of the skills of being a stage manager into being a charge artist um, and, and all those amazing skills, but I don't have to be nice to an actor. I just have to make sure my scenery doesn't kill them. And that's, and that's, that's you being nice to the actor. It's not letting the scenery kill them. But it's also interesting because of that stage manager background, I really do think about how is the actor going to interact with the stage floor, interact with this platform that I have to heavily texture. How do we, how do we make this scenery safe? And a lot of that is because of the stage manager background, but yeah, no, I'm not. I, I love the job. I respect the job, but I don't have the people skills for that job, which I think is important. Did you pick up some of the like organizational skills that come with a lot of stage management background oh, yeah. into your painting? And that helps a lot. Yes. That I'm guessing. I am very good at having a Bible book for all of my shows because you never know when you're going to get hit by a bus. And so those kind of organizational skills, I, I, <sighs> I wish I had learned more spreadsheet stuff when I was in college, but that technology was still a little, a little new. Um, you know, like I, like I didn't get my first email address till I was in college. So that kind of dates how old I am. Um, so obviously I'm 20. Uh, yeah, totally. I totally, see it. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So you just didn't want an email until then. <laughs> ex- I was too cool for email. Really. That's really what it is. Yeah. So, and, but, uh, yeah, so a lot of those skills, um, also being really good at communicating and making sure that when I'm sending emails to just TDs and designers and all of that stuff that I'm trying to be as, you know, communicative as possible. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, did you, did you ever, so you said you went to college in Illinois. Correct. Uh, are you from Minnesota originally, or did you make a decision to come here, or was it just kind of happenstance? I made a decision to come here, um, and in in college, uh, we actually had a really large Minneapolis uh, contingency of students at at our school. It was really weird; like all of a sudden, we had four people from Minneapolis. So I learned about how cool the Twin Cities were back then, and I even like. Uh, traveled up here to see a show at the Guthrie. And I was like, oh, wow. So that was my first time seeing how cool this city was. And then um, when I went I, when I went to graduate school in California at CalArts, uh, my roommate, uh, Montana Johnson, uh, is obviously from, she's a, a sound designer here in the Twin Cities. She wasn't at the time. She was, just, you know, a grad student with me. So once again, she spent three years telling me how awesome the Twin Cities were. Um, and then I came here for, there was a USITT, uh, here in the Twin Cities. And so it was just kind of like always in my periphery that this was a really cool city. It was a really cool area. You guys, the Twin Cities as a whole really support the arts. 
which was not something I saw in Northern Illinois. And when I say Northern Illinois, that makes it clear that I'm not from Chicago. Right? I went to Chicago all the time and it was just kind of assumed that I would go to Chicago to, to be my career. To work someday, yeah. And I did that. I mean, I interned um, at the Steppenwolf in Chicago um, in the year 2000 and um, worked on this amazing show, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and uh, learned that I didn't necessarily love Chicago. Um, okay. So I don't know if it was just like being in the city and all the skyscrapers and not feeling the sky um, so much, but after, so I, I did the, I graduated, I went to Chicago I did, to do my internship, then I went to California. Um, and then, uh, I went to Denver after graduate school and I was painting backdrops and just backdrops. So like 40 hours a week painting backdrops was amazing. Um, and, uh, so I learned so many skills there. And then a job at the children's theater opened up and I was like, Oh, wait, I can actually work for like this, you know, Tony award winning regional theater. And I know that it's a really cool city. Oh, and my old grad school roommate lives there. So I'm not living in a city by myself. I didn't know anyone, not a soul when I moved to Denver. (laughs) So it was very lonely. Um, So to know that there was this really cool art city um, and closer to my home than Denver was, I I moved here. Um, And then I was working at the Children's Theater and that was amazing. Um, They do really, really, I mean, everybody knows the scenery that they do is top notch. Um, and then, uh, I, there was this, you know, boy who was a carpenter and he was kind of cute. Um, and so we ended up getting married and so I've stayed and had a family and, and, and have had a very thriving career. Yeah. So I love it. Still able to keep working and hang out here and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, post, I mean, pandemic aside, I've essentially, been paid as just a painter or design. I haven't had to have the coffee shop job. Okay. You know, I have been able to support myself, um, you know, through theater pretty much since I arrived. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. It's always, always nice when you don't have to do another job. It's fine if you do. It's Um, And it's totally fine. And, and, (laughs) but it was just like, Oh, okay. I, I can do this. I can actually, yeah. And I think it's because I have that little niche market. There aren't that yeah. many of us who do scene painting. And There's do a... it really well. Oh, shucks. No, you do it really well. Oh, <laughs> um, so so there's that. So I, I'm lucky that I'm in that little niche market. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. different to say if you're an electrician or a carpenter or just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm lucky that I hit that niche. Yeah. Yeah, we only have a handful that that's all that they do. There's yeah. there's a decent amount of set designers who paint things. Correct. But as a set designer who sometimes paints her own show, I love it when I get to have someone else paint it. Isn't that awesome? It's the best. It's so this is the same thing I've I've said a couple times is when I get to work with someone else. Right? I love being able to bring an idea to you and say, "I have this. What can you help me make this become this?" Yeah, and it just—it's fun. Uh, it's a great experience, so that's why I love being able to do that. Um, I think I think that whole that whole concept, that whole idea of we have this picture of this, and we mm-hmm. want to make it a reality, and we want to make it better. That whole problem solving aspect mm-hmm. is what I love about being a scenic artist. 
Yeah. It's not just paint a pretty picture. It's how are you going to paint this pretty picture 50 feet large? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, being a scenic artist, but yeah, collaborating with designers and making your ideas bigger and better. That makes me super excited. Yeah, that's it's my favorite when I get uh, to work with someone who wants to do it that way. Yeah. It's really fun. Um, are there things that have changed a lot for you as a scenic artist since you started to now? Like, has there been, I mean, paint is mostly similar. It hasn't changed a lot, but has there been some technologies or some Huge. things that are just shifting or way people work? Yes. Even? Yes. Um, so there's, so the, the techniques that I use uh, of painting have not necessarily changed since the Italian Renaissance. Okay. How we apply paint to surfaces other than like using pneumatic guns hasn't mm -hmm. changed in hundreds of years. Yeah. What has changed are the types of paints. So we're no longer using dry pigments like they used to, but um, we're using like the scenic paints, which are paints made by like Roscoe and Artist Choice where there are tons of coverage and like pigment and stuff like that. But even that has changed now because of the substrates that we're painting now, we're using a lot more industrial paints, a lot more what we call direct to metal paints, because mm -hmm. we need our senior, we need our paint to stick to things that paint doesn't want to stick to and be hard. So that, that part of my job has changed, like the chemistry of the product, but how we apply it hasn't. Okay. And then the other huge change um, in my job, and I mentioned to you like that I'm, I, I, I'm a cusper, right? I grew up kind of like before the internet mm -hmm. and then the internet happened while I was in college. I mean, like we used internet before Google was invented. Mm -hmm. do, do any of you guys even know what that means? <laughs> and so what that means for me as a scenic artist is that the scenic designers have greatly changed how mm -hmm. they communicate their info. Okay. So before, like, I remember like in the year 2001, one of our topics at um, USITT was how do you paint from a digital rendering? Like oh, that okay. was yeah. just blowing up our mind. Designers had finally discovered Photoshop. Uh -huh. Before that, all the designers would hand paint all of their renderings. And they would be gorgeous and lovely because you could see all the layers that they had done and you could see their mistakes and their coffee cup rings and, you know, mm -hmm. um, but then all of a sudden, like in the, in the, in the early aughts, designers developed Photoshop skills. Mm -hmm. And so now everything that we're getting, everything we're getting is digital. Now I have like maybe two designers that still hand paint their renderings, maybe okay. three, if they're feeling like they want to go old school. So <laughs> So the whole idea of how do you take computerized renderings and make them into the paint world, that has changed. And then it's also changed how we communicate with designers because designers sometimes, um, especially if they went to an Ivy League school on the East Coast, <coughs> Yale, tend to get stuck on having things look absolutely computer rendered. And they don't want a set to look like it even has a drop of paint on it, but yet that's how we work. So how do you, how do you repaint on there? <laughs> yeah. And then you'll get these designers who've used 18 layers 
of images to create a mural. And I don't have the time to do 18 layers. I have to get this done in three or four. So it's all about communicating the digital renderings into paint and still have it be as vibrant. Uh-huh. Um, because I don't know, I don't know how you design so much, Liza, but um, when you when you're looking at renderings on your computer screen, they're being lit up, they're being mm-hmm. illuminated. So your designs always kind of glow on a computer yeah. screen. And so trying to get paint to glow the same way can be kind of tricky. Yeah, that makes sense. So we're working with different products and we're trying to work as safe as we can. That's a whole other podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But then trying to navigate the digital world into a painted world. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that would change a lot of it. It, yeah. it sometimes makes my job easier. Oh, yeah. So I don't have to spend forever doing all the paint renderings. But there, I will say there are certain things that, like, sometimes I hate everything I can put in a digital version. Right. So then I have to go back to old school. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and do a physical painted thing because I'm like, I can't make it work on the computer. I can do it faster. Yeah. Yeah. Over here than on a computer sometimes. Um, so that makes sense. Oh yeah. It's, and, 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 and I'm not saying that designing digitally is wrong. It's just a different method of communicating. Mm -hmm. And so there was this like, it, it, it's just, it's just a cusp of like, how do you, it's easier to translate a painted picture into another bigger painted picture. Yeah, you're in the um, same medium. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that I can't take that digital image and still, you know, make it look like it's just it's just different and it's yeah. still all about communication. And I find that um designers now it's huge to have um reference photos. I think does the 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 better designers that I work with will give me their rendering and then still give me like three or four different reference images because they're like, okay, so like I have this rendering and I like this little part here, but I really want it to look like this. And I yeah. like this. Or I these really are the three like places this. I pulled yeah. it from. Yeah. And, but you see this, that's too far. Don't make it look like that, you know? Oh, okay. So it's all about, it's so much about communication. Makes sense. You know, and I find that um, the more times I work with the designer, Mm-hmm. the better the communication goes because we start to develop that shorthand. Yeah. You get that language of the other person. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. They learn your style. They learn, your, you know, you learn theirs, which is another reason why, you know, some of the designers I've worked with Chad Van Kekrix and Rick Polinek and Vicki Smith um, are high on my list because we've worked so well together for so many years mm-hmm. that they can go, oh, can you do that one thing that you did that one time? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. That'd be yeah, great. I can figure out how to make that work. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'll pull that out of my thing. So do you, um, I guess that's a thought I never would have or didn't have before. It's like, do you, um, if you figured out how to do something for one project, do you give yourself like a, here's a cheat list so that if you need to do it later, do you write that out for yourself? Or is that something where you're like, I'll just make it up next time again? No, no, no. All right. So now this is when I'm going to geek out on you. Okay. Okay. So the biggest thing, when when I talk about scenic art being problem solvers, Mm-hmm. We start that problem solving with doing samples. So I'm going to do six different, well, if I, if the theater has the time to pay me for it, I'll try to yeah. do six different versions of this brick wall that you want yeah. or all these wood grains and stuff like that. And so when I do my samples, I'm always um, 
like putting tape down on my samples so I can put step one, I cover with tape and then I do step two and then I put a piece of tape on that and then I can do step three, you know? Uh-huh. So I like along my, alongside my sample, I have like this little history of all yeah. the steps that I did. Okay. And that's important for two reasons. One is that when the designer comes in and they're like, I really love this, but I think it's a little too blue. I can look at my little strip and I can figure out where do I need, where in my levels do I need to fix? So I'm not do too I need blue. to change some of the blue. Yeah. yeah. Which part can I add a different color or a different right. whatever right. or something? Yeah. Right. And so then okay. now I've got this stockpile of all these samples. Mm-hmm. So now next time a designer comes in and like, oh, I kind of want to do this, but I don't know. I can either just pull out an old sample. I could say, well, we did this for a show. How do we mm-hmm. change this for your show? But then okay. it also reminds me how I did it. Okay. And I mean, like, and I can remember what colors I used. I can remember what techniques I used. But um, it's also really, really helpful for wood and wood grains. Uh-huh. I so totally I, messed up my wood grain lately. Oh, no. <laughs> so you got to have those. It's all, wood, a good wood grain is all about the undertones and then what color you tint your things on. That's another uh-huh. podcast. I could just see you got me for like nine hours of just blabbing about paint. I hope you know there what you go. opened. Totally fine with that. We'll keep going. Big can. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think th- those samples, taking notes. Um, I'm also, I have about 20,000 photos in my phone. I think only 400 of them are my kid. Maybe, maybe a thousand. I don't he's know. He's probably, they're probably fine with that, right? Yeah. He, 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 he's, he's 13. He doesn't want photos taken of him anymore, anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, it's process shots are huge as well. Yeah. Um, and then uh, to di- digest of this. So one of my jobs besides being a scenic artist is I also teach at the University of Minnesota and I teach scene painting. And so um, part of my theory on painting is that there's really only about six ways that we usually use, six techniques that we usually use to get paint onto a surface. Okay. And so when you're coming up with these techniques, it's in what order do you use you these techniques? Yeah. And which, or I, I only need to use three of them. So am I using a dry brush and a spatter? Or am I using a roller? Mm-hmm. So once you get a good methodology of how all of our main tricks work, then yeah. it just becomes a salad and where you're putting everything. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it does tend to be, these are the few pieces we stick together to yeah. do what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Um, uh, you said that you're, you know, getting to work on things is some of your most favorite things. Are there things that you really don't like doing that are technically part of a paint charges job? Um, Oh, Obviously, washing brushes question. and buckets and sweeping. <laughs> uh, no, the cleanup. Uh, yeah, cleanup's annoying. <laughs> the cleanup duty. Uh, no, I, I actually really, I, I might not have time at the end of the day every time to wash buckets, but I, I, I do enjoy the Zen process of that. Um, I think uh, sometimes, sometimes the job can get monotonous. Like I could care less if I ever paint another stage floor black. Mm-hmm. But I know that I'll be doing it four more times this year. Um, so I think, so that's an interesting thing about our job is it's always changing. So even when you have a show where you have to paint uh, 75 doors glossy black, 
on both sides, four coats each, like two coats mm-hmm. on either side. Um, that can get monotonous, but you know it's only going to last two weeks. Yeah. So you're not going to be doing doors for the rest of your life. Right. Hopefully. But as a signature, things I don't like to do, um, I love to do it all. But what I have noticed is that there are things that I'm not good at, okay. that I'm not the best at. And so for me, what that means is if I have a show that's going to require something that I know I'm not necessarily the best at, I have two options. I need to make sure I get really, really good at it right away. Or I just hire somebody in who can do that thing I need them to do because they do it better than me and they Mm -hmm. do it faster than me. Because for me, it's not necessarily about, oh, I painted this entire show because it's not about me at all. Like, you know, it's, it's about the design. It's about everything like that. So I have no problem if I can afford it to hire in like, I'm not the best at super tight lettering. Um, I suck at portraiture. Um, so I have these little scenic artists in my back pocket who I'm like, ooh, this scenic artist is really good at this. Yeah. Um, I worked with uh, Dee Scogan, um, and I hired her on a show to help me paint portraits because I knew that I could just give her these portraits, all these rush renderings, and put her in a corner and she'd produce all this big, lovely, beautiful work. It'd be done and you wouldn't have to worry about it. And I wouldn't have to <laughs> worry about it because I knew it would be done beautifully. Yeah. You yeah. know, and if I, I could do it, but I would be really, really slow and yeah. they wouldn't be as good. And that's not the goal for the production. Yeah. If you can make it better, then why not? Yeah. So it's more like, even if a job sucks, I know it'll be over in two weeks and if I'm not good at something, I'll either learn a new school and get a be- new skill and get better at it. Or I, if I can afford to, I'll bring in a friend, which is bonus. I get to work with a friend. Yeah. You get to have somebody else around. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you tend to mate or make more contacts in, in that area? Cause I know sometimes you probably are working on projects by yourself. Yes. Uh, I don't think you usually get a huge crew. Most of our theaters aren't at that size. You might have one person helping you sometimes. So there's two ways that I make contacts. Um, it's uh, going into a theater that already has some scenic artists and being like just the helper bee on a show. Okay. So I met people when I was at, at CTC. I met a lot of scenics um, for all the years that I worked at V-Core, um, which is oh, now yeah. called uh, V-Star, um, doing the Sesame Streets and stuff like that. So that's where I met a lot of the a lot of the local scenic artists have, have at least traveled through that shop at some point. Yeah. Um, and so we just kind of, that's the local network that I've gotten. Um, and a couple of times it's people moving to town and submitting a resume and I'm like, all right, I'll give them a shot. Um, and then it's, so yeah, you just kind of ran it in the twin cities. At least it's either running into them at another shop and, and, and learning in that way, or just like, people randomly coming into town now and submitting a resume. And then I meet them that way. Yeah. Um, um, and then nationally, uh, I would be remiss if I said, um, we, I helped create a group called the guild of scenic artists that could help connect scenic artists across the nation. Besides like for, with the, with the exception of like Chicago, St. Louis, LA, and New York, those are the big, what I would call the union cities. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of us um, in a lot of the East Coast 
in the Midwest, at least, we might be one or two to a town. And so that gets a little lonely. So that's why we created this group called the Scenic Artists, the, the Guild of Scenic Artists, so we can connect that way. Um, okay. That was just a fun little project. That uh, Not really a project, but anyways, I'm blabbering. That's the point of a podcast. Right. Blabber. That's, yeah. That's, that's why we do it. Um, but that's that's a nice way to meet uh, new people for sure. When, when someone's new or young in the industry, is that a good time for them to just be like, hey, can I call you up and have coffee to figure out how to become a painter yeah. in this town? Yeah. Is that something that you love or not love? Or I, whatever? I, I, I do love it. I love meeting the new scenics that come to town. Um, sometimes they'll get, uh, my friend Jenny, Jenny came to town from Denver. And so, um, because I worked in Denver for a time, we, we shared a boss, uh, Jenna Mitchell. She's the charge artist at the Denver center. And so she sent me an email saying, Hey, my friend Jenny's coming to town and she might be looking for work. Let me, you know, if you can, you know, help her out. And so I, I did, I like, I met her and she was really, really great. And so the, the next time that I had a show that I could actually afford to bring somebody on, like we said, budgets are tight. Um, yeah. So then I brought her on and then I realized that she's a kick-ass painter. And then I, from there, I was able to recommend her to other people. I don't like to recommend artists. I don't know. Um, harder. Yeah. You it's haven't hard. seen their work. Yeah. So. I want to be able to vouch, you know? Um, and so, and so I was able to hire her and then, and, and introduce her to other scenic artists like Mary Montgomery and, and stuff like that around town. So, and now she's, and she's floated up ladder. So now she's the charge artist at, at another theater herself. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I think we just like, you meet people and you realize who you like and who you gel with. So they go on your short list of names that whenever you can work with them or recommend them, if you can't do the job. Yeah. You're like, Hey, I know this other person, call them up. I'm busy. Like, yeah. You can talk to so-and-so or whatever. Yeah. And then whenever you have a chance to actually hire somebody, um, cause you know, I, I work the freelance, the freelance side of the twin cities. Um, that's always great. And then I'm also always trying to promote what few students I've been able to graduate through the university's program as well. Yeah. So I have a project coming up in January where I need an assistant and I have a student who's just graduating in January. And so I was like, all right, you're going to be my assistant on this project because a, I feel you could use some additional training. Mm -hmm. Um, but now you're going to get a nice little resume credit right off. Get a boost to something else. That's yeah. That's new. Help each other out. It's, I think it's, 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 you know, help everyone out. Always, always handy. Um, are there things that you still want to sometime, someday do? So like, are there any like goals or like, is there a show or even just like, I've always wanted to paint this awesome style of floor or, or whatever. Um, do you um, have anything on your mind goal wise? Uh, <laughs> Sunday in the park with George has always been a dream show of mine because I think having to paint an entire show in pointillism would be awesomely hard, mm-hmm. but the G just did it a while ago. So that's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, and it seems silly, but I'd love to paint a production of Brigadoon. And that's only because that's my theater moment. 
Um, okay. I went and saw Brigadoon in like sixth grade. And I was like, wait, this is theater? Okay. <laughs> Holy cow. I love this. Yeah. So, so sentimental reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I've done movies uh, a little bit. Uh, so I know what that world is like. I've done a, so, which is great. I'd love to do more movies, but the hours are really long and not necessarily mm-hmm. conducive to family life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I've, it's very rare for me at this point to say I've never, there isn't anything I haven't quite done. I've done versions of things. Um, speaking of which, it's why I really love working at the university because our student designers there, I like to say they don't know any better. <laughs> they don't know that what they're asking for is kind of impossible. And so, you know, I, one of my, um, she, she graduated from undergrad, Nicole, she did a Midsummer's Night's Dream and she designed a 25 foot tree that went up over one side that had to be climbable and branches all over and stuff like that. And I immediately saw that and I was like, that is awesome. There's no way we can do it. Let's figure out how, yeah. <laughs> you know, Let's get it as close as possible. Basically. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, and we did, I mean, I mean like, and so there's a learning curve on there and stuff like that. So for me, it's all about, um, how is a designer going to challenge themselves and challenge the space that mm-hmm. we have to work in, yeah, that's exciting. You know, like, oh, another backdrop. Great. I love painting backdrops. But, and I love painting. I love it. I love, I love it all, really. I'm just a <laughs> dork. I'm so excited you asked me to talk about paint for, um, this is what, a four-hour podcast? I think I can do sure. at least six hours. Sure. Um, Why not? <laughs> so, you know, but uh, uh for me at this point, it's, it is, it's, it, it is being challenged. It's being asked to do something I haven't quite done before. Yeah. So I can't tell you what it is because I don't know. You don't know what it is. So I don't know what it is yet, but I can't but wait for it to happen. That's really great though, that it's not a, I have to do this and then I'll feel like I've completed the, the checklist of what I want to do. Right. It's, I want the next challenge. I want the new exciting. I want the it's okay that I might be painting another wood, blah, 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 but right. this wood looks different than those last 17 woods yeah. and it does this cool whatever thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, it has a fun pattern or it has a yeah. whatever. Um, mostly because I just painted a giant floor. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the work that you do is hard on your body. Are there things <sighs> that you do that help yeah. with that? Uh, Some either paint skills or ways you like take care of yourself later it's know. it's all about the ergonomic tools that we use. It's putting our if you're painting a floor, if there's any way you can do it by not crawling around on your hands and knees. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you know you just gotta crawl around on your hands and knees. If you have to do a rocker finish because that's what the designers ask for, I would first try to do anything before having to do a rocker wood floor personally. Um, but I, I failed at that. I already did that, but it was gorgeous. Oh my gosh. If, if, if the little podcasters could see how your floor turned out, it was gorgeous, <laughs> but, um, it's being smart with your tools. 
choosing mm -hmm. tools that are so that's why we put our brushes on bamboos and it's why we use if you can get away with an 18 inch roller instead of a nine nine inch roller so you can just get it done faster okay. it's also um being very very mindful about repetitive uh movements um mm -hmm. and uh being very uh, careful about um, tennis elbow is a big problem with in our industry. So having support on this part of your arm uh, that I can't think of right now, the forearm, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, carpal tunnel is a big one that happens in our industry, bad knees. Um, and learning how to take breaks um, and, 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 and just proper stretching, all of that good stuff. You have to mm -hmm. think of the, the best tool in our arsenal as scenic artists, it's, it's not that really awesome Fitch brush. It is our body. Mm -hmm. So you have to do everything you can if you want to be able to do this career for 20, 30 years, protecting your body, yeah. getting, wearing knee pads, um, having proper, using lifts um, and ladders and not trying to always do it. It's just it, being mindful. And it's also mm -hmm. not just, and the tools you use, it's also the chemicals and the paint that you're working with as well. Um, we need to choose safer products as well. And so that's just a whole other chemistry lesson. Safer products and using respirators or things, protective gear yes. when you can. And or need yeah, to. and so it'd be, yeah, your PPE is very important, but you have to remember um, that PPP is actually your last choice. Like you yeah. have to choose First different First choice is change a different product, yeah. And yeah. all, you know, the, the little the downward triangle that we've all seen in safety class. Hopefully you've taken a safety class. <laughs> so if not take a safety class. Exactly. <laughs> we'll read that uh, article I attend on writing that I've always wanted to write and I haven't written. So there you, there you go. go. Uh, yeah. That totally so, makes sense. Yeah. Are there, um, are there things that you would have wanted to either have someone tell 20 year old Angelique when she started out in this mm. um, or or things that she would have would have been really great for her to know if she was that age. When I was 20-year-old Angelique, I wish all of my professors would have forced me to do computers more. In undergrad, it was just like if you knew how to do email and word processing, mm -hmm. that was kind of it. You're good. Yeah. They didn't press the need for AutoCAD and all of those and vector works and all that type of stuff. And they didn't necessarily press the need for Photoshop skills. So in the, in the very small window of time between my undergrad and I graduated in, in the 1900s. Um, <laughs> and when I went to grad school in, in, in the two thousands, uh, computers had already expanded. And by then I already felt too old and too Luddite. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I really need to get my computer skills up. Um, and, and you'd think in this nice pandemic that I would have done that and I didn't. Um, so computer Hard. skills are something that, um, I wish I had learned back then, but it's not a problem for today's, um, people cause everybody just comes out of the womb knowing it. Uh, but, <laughs> well, but I they also... still might want to learn the, like if they yeah. are a physical painter, maybe still make sure you know a little bit about Photoshop. That's oh, it's, it's not huge. everybody who goes to, you know, fine art painting learns Photoshop, but yeah. you might be good as a scenic artist it's, it's, to know it, those two and it's, skills. It's, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think it's important for designers to know both painting and Photoshop and, yeah. and all those things. And I think it's, it's still important for 
us scenic artists to know the Photoshop problems because sometimes when we get these renderings in from our designers to be able to break down the image better to just say, can you just give me your file so I can figure out- Can I see the layers? Yeah. yeah, So I can pick it apart (laughs) that those, those, and those things I can do, but, um, but uh, the computer aspects, but the, uh, the thing I wish, uh, I wish I would have known more about balancing the freestyle, the, 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 the freelance lifestyle more. I had this idea that you would just get a job at one theater and that would be your job. And I've only had that twice in my career that I've just had only one employer. It was when I worked in Denver painting backdrops and when I first moved here to CTC. Otherwise, so like like this little window of four years, I only had one employer. And so since 2006, on however many years that is i've had to juggle a lot of jobs at once and so i that's the thing that i'm i'm telling my students now is how to how to balance all of these jobs um and how to make sure that you're setting yourself up with a good contract um and this is all you know pot kettle black stuff like i still suck at making sure that i'm protected by a contract but i'm going to make sure my students are we try to be better every time, but we every still time. fall short yeah. at times. I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I wish I would have known more about what it really takes to succeed as a freelancer. Yeah. Um, In I, most yeah. years, how many different places do you tend to work? All right. Even if you just guess, but all right. you don't have to give names if you don't want. <laughs> and number, all right. So I'm just going to go off of, these are the employers that I would have had, or I have had just in the year 2020. So the University of Minnesota, uh, Penumbra Theater, Artistry Theater, um, the Ordway Music Theater. Um, I probably would have helped out at V-Star if it was still, a, whatever. I did an opera company up in... Uh, northern minnesota so that's six that i can think of right now that you for sure worked in oh oh and carlton college as well (laughs) because so that's so i'm already on to hand two yeah and then there's all the other things that would have just like popped up randomly you know and in the past like there were years when i was also working for latte da and i was also working for park square at the same time as doing everything else and at some point i was just like too spread thin and I wasn't giving my best. And because also all the Twin City show theaters like to open their shows the same week. So um, so at some point you just have to decide, okay, I, I really want to work for this theater company because I really think they do excellent work, but it's just not, I can do better work at these other theaters. So sometimes you have to say goodbye to old theaters and just hope that maybe eventually you can come back and flit in and stuff like that. But you can only spin so many plates and be a mom. So that's also. And, and eat food. And eat know, food. Have time for things. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. sleep apparently, which is, you know, a good thing about the pandemic is I'm finally catching up on all those years I didn't get. Yeah, I don't think that's how sleep works, but okay. <laughs> you know, you act as if you're supposed to sleep, Liza. I mean, I thought we were supposed to work 24 hours into the no. week. 
midnight hours. Do that. Oh wait, I we know that, don't we? Yeah. Um, speaking of that thing, what yeah. are some things that you would like to cha- have change after we come back from this pandemic? I are want there things that you want to change. I want theaters to not ask scenic artists to paint in the middle of the night, flat out by themselves usually, and by themselves. Um, yeah, that's like that's not safe. <laughs> no, I want theaters. I mean, like, I understand sometimes the best time to paint a stage floor is at night once the actors have gone home and the carpenters have gone home and the electricians have gone home. But why is it always on the onus of the scenic artist to have to come in and work that late, late shift? Why can't they just decide, you know what? This show, the scenic artist had to work until two o'clock in the morning. So for the next show, it's the carpenters. And then the show after that, it'll be the electricians. That's of course, you know, the glass ball that will never, ever happen. Um, or can no one work after two in the morning? Cause it's not healthy for exactly. any of us to work that way. Oh my gosh. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Can we just like stop that? Mm-hmm. Can we just properly plan enough time to build and paint and light a show? Why do we have to cram it in? If the yeah. actors can get weeks upon weeks upon weeks, then we should be able to get a week. At least a week. At least a week, you know. Instead of three days, do it. Yeah, exactly. You know, (laughs) like, so that's the thing I would really love changed. I would also uh, love for the pay to get better. So that maybe I don't have to work at three theater companies. I only have to work for two. You know, um, I have, so, but once again, these are things I would love to see changed. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it changes. I've already myself, um, in the last year have actively taken on less work because I was tired of always being stressed and tired. I was tired of being tired tired of being tired. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't pulling out my best work. And if, if I can't be proud of the work that I'm putting on stage, then I can't ask the designer to be proud of it. You know, because it's not, it's, nobody cares who painted the floor, but they're going to know that Lieza designed that floor. And so yeah, they're going to see my name on it in the not, bigger letters. Yeah. They're not going to look, I mean, I do. I always look to find all my friends in whatever program I'm right. at, but not everyone else is going to see no. who painted it. No. And, yeah. and if they do see it, they're going to see charge artists. What's a charge artist, you know? Yeah. And then there's still some companies that have stopped putting my name in their program. So, oh yeah, we're not, we won't go there, but you know, because touched the thing, you should get your name in the program. Exactly. Yeah. So, or no one's name should be in the program then. Don't have a program. Right. I'm fine with that. If no one's in there, cool. If everyone's in there, cool. Yeah. That's my thought. Exactly. (laughs) But, uh, um, so yeah, those are, those, those are kind of the things. So, you know, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, don't, you know, better hours, better pay, you know, what everybody else wants. Yeah, same thing the rest of the world wants, yeah. more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there, uh, I know we could talk about paint for hours. For hours, there, I'm, I'm here, is, I got it, is, I, I can, I don't need to cook dinner, I can have them, we'll just order <laughs> pizza, it'd be great, I'm here for send you, a, Send some to my house. Right, um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to share with? my audience of people and let them know about what you do or thoughts. Oh, um, 
that it, I, oh, oh man, you stumped me. That's hard to do. Do you know how hard it yeah. is to make me speechless? I want to put this down in a record book. I'll um, make a note. Thanks. Check. Um, I think on my list of things to do today. I think they would be surprised to see how ugly a set looks when they get up close and on top of the set. Sometimes uh, that four foot, 10 foot, 40 foot rule. Um, our sets could be very like a, like a Monet look like, butt up close. Um, I also would love for audiences to maybe just like, look at the set a little bit more. This is me getting vain now. Try um, to figure out how, like, how, did, look they, at the how paint did they and go, do like, that? Is, it real? is that real? Like, yep. um, some of the work that I love to do at Penumbra, um, that I've been there for so long is like when we're doing a good August Wilson show, um, and Vicki Smith is usually a designers for those. And she loves, and, and she's, she's incredibly good at giving you an ultra realistic set where every little detail is right. And so, um, we did two trains running, which is set inside like a restaurant. And I remember, um, Sarah Bellamy coming in and just being wowed at how much of the stage was fake that I could point out on my hand. All right. The cash register is real. The chrome on the tables is real. That seven up sign is real. And these two other things is real. Otherwise everything else that you see on stage has been been completely manufactured and faked for the show. And I think, um, I mean, the audience will never understand, but it would be great if they did. Yeah. You know, the, the or, amount or of work. But understand that it takes a lot of work. And, so yeah, much yeah. work. Also, I think if they, if, they, if they thought about it, for every actor you see on stage, there's a minimum four to five people behind the scenery that you don't know about. From stage managers, from designers, from electricians. I mean, like, the, the, the actors, although they're the prettiest part, and we love, love what they can do. Oh, but they we are, wouldn't have our job if we didn't have actors. Yeah. They're just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You know, yep. that, that picture with the iceberg and all of it underneath the water. I wish audiences recognized a little bit more everything that was under the water. Yeah. But they're not supposed to. That's not their job. Yeah. We're supposed to be hidden a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> their job is to come in and experience it and, and just be taken away to another world. And that's. That's why we do our jobs to take people away. You know, there's something magical about knowing that in this black box space one month ago, the space was just black walls and black curtains and black floors. And then we come in and lights and sound covered and and we do all this stuff and we've magically created this forest. Yeah. And this world that nobody has ever seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, that's what I really love about our craft is we're yeah. creating these worlds that have never been seen before so that everyone can feel a part of it. It's super fun to get to create a new world. Yeah. For someone to see. Yeah. Well, I yeah. want to thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Joining us um, in this crazy world and time. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of We Shadows. If you enjoyed it, please recommend it to your friends, colleagues, and students. If you loved it, like us on Facebook and please hit the follow or subscribe button on your chosen podcast platform. We Shadows was created by Liesa Behrens, Rachel Lanto, and Anita Kelling. It was recorded over Zencaster and produced by Anita Kelling. Our theme music was composed and performed by J. William Kelsch. We Shadows can be found wherever you search for your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in this week, and be sure to check us out every Wednesday for new episodes.